Hi, I'm Don Mackey, and welcome to the Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. This show is focused on providing strategies to empower community success and vitality. Each episode will feature interviews with cutting-edge rural development thought leaders and community practitioners, remarkable entrepreneurs from business, government, and nonprofits, and by sharing the learnings of E2 entrepreneurial ecosystems. Connect with me, learn more about E2, and subscribe to this show at energizingentrepreneurs.org. Welcome to this episode of Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. This is Don Mackey with E2 Entrepreneurial Ecosystems, and I'll be your host for today's podcast. And it is my pleasure to introduce my friend and inspiration, Robert Stoll, or Bob for short. Bob, thanks so much for being my guest today. Well, I really appreciate the opportunity. I'm really honored that you would would visit with me. And, you know, community development and entrepreneurship is such a interesting and fun topic that I'm really happy to get to visit with you today, Don. Well, and this is an exciting podcast because we're kind of formally launching all of the wonderful content that you've been so much part of creating, but also helping us curate, focusing on this remarkable story of Ord and the Valley County region. Today, we're going to be releasing Matthew Hansen's story called The Long Drive Home, How Bob Stoll and His Allies Made Ord's Future Better Than Its Past. And it's a powerful story. And today we're going to have a chance to kind of have a conversation around your experience. And so, Bob, thank you for joining us. You bet. So what I'd like to start out with is just to share a little bit about your life journey. You grew up in Orange, you moved away, came back. Just share a little bit about your life's journey, Bob. Sure, I'll be glad to. I had a wonderful early life. We lived six miles east of Ord. We were on a very small farm. We were very poor, although we didn't know it. Folks always raised a lot of garden, and we always had beef cattle. And so, anyway, it was a great life. And then as I got a little older, mom and dad always said, I was the youngest kid in the family, and mom and dad always said, you want to better yourself. And in those days, which was like 1960, 1961, that meant, go away. Get your education and go into the world and find your fortune. So at 17, I'd been encouraged to apply for an appointment to the military academy at West Point, New York. And I did that. And I was blessed to be able to, well, I say blessed in retrospect. (laughs) In the beginning part, maybe I don't feel quite as blessed. But at age 17, jumped on my first airplane, flew to the East Coast, spent four years at the military academy. And it it was hard. First part was, I just felt like it was really tough. Most of the kids had a couple years of college or they had a couple years in the service and I didn't know anything but how to stack hay. But as time went on, the instruction was fantastic. The people there were wonderful. And as each year went by, I became encouraged and more involved in leadership and be, in fact, became very intrigued with leadership. West Point spends a lot of time with leadership training, of course. And so anyway, graduated in 1965 and Jean and I got married after we graduated, uh, she from high school, me from college. And little did we know that in the next two years of our lives, we'd only live together two months. But through training to go to Vietnam, Airborne School, Ranger School, and so forth, I ended up in Vietnam in 1966, spent a year there, came home, went to the infantry school in Fort Benning, Georgia. I taught company tactics there. At night, I taught algebra to the troops who wanted to get their GED. So that was fun. 
But then all of a sudden, we started to have our family. And Gene just said, you know, Bob, I just don't know how we can raise our family this way with you being gone every other year. And so I applied to go to law school. I felt pretty guilty about it because the Army was being very good to me, aside from not being able to be home with my family. But in any event, went to law school and midway through law school, I went really as on-the-job training and excess leave and intended to go back into the Army and the JAG Corps. Anyway, we decided we just wanted to come home because that's where we wanted to raise our family. So we ended up back in Ord primarily for family reasons, and we've been thrilled that that was a decision we made, except for the little guilt I felt about not staying in the Army. Yeah, but you served your country, and we thank you. I mean, you your tours of duty in Vietnam, your care for your troops. I think you paid your dues. Well, I don't know about that, but that was the greatest blessing of being in the service is just that feeling of connection. Absolutely. Yeah. The brotherhood that comes with service. Before we get into maybe the motivation for the leadership and the involvement in ORD and its development, I think it'd be useful for our listeners because chances are the vast majority of the folks listening to this podcast today have not been to Ord. They've not been to the Valley County region. And so share a little bit about this landscape. I think, you know, people, when they consider Nebraska, you know, that drive through or flyover country and it's flat, but your corner of Nebraska is remarkably beautiful. So share a little bit about this landscape, the community, and then we'll, we'll dive into the work of Ord's development. Okay, Don, do you really think not everybody's been through Ord? Well, you know, I always ask that question when I share the story, and I'll be honest, I'm usually lucky if there's at least one person who said they've been close. And so I have the same experience with my hometown of Mullen. Not a lot of people have been there as well. <laughs> well, we do have Ord International Airport, and we can land jets. And so just for anybody, you know, wants to visit, why we'll pick you up at the airport. We are very fortunate. We live in a very fertile area. Ord is, is situated on the North Loop River. We have the River Valley, which allows us to raise really good crops. We have the Ogallala Aquifer that feeds our underground water, and it's the gem of the world, honestly. We're so fortunate of that. And then our, our hill country, and it is not all just flat in Valley County. I drive through the hill. I live in a valley, and I drive through the hills to get to work. But the hills are very productive for the cattle production and a nice thing is it allows us to have combination operations. So we're not all dependent on, on row crop. We're not all dependent on cattle. We can do a good combination. So we also have three lakes within 20 miles of us, and we're situated very close to the sand hills, which is a totally unique ecosystem. And my brother used to say, I just love to drive through the sand hills. It just gives me peace. So anyway, I think we're very fortunate to be where we are. Yeah, and I encourage people because it, it is a remarkably beautiful place. And of course, I grew up as part of my childhood, either in the Sandhills or adjacent to it. And it wasn't until I went to college that I realized just how special internationally the Sandhills are as a geography and an ecology. And again, kind of speaks to the fact sometimes you have to go away to discover what you have right in your backyard that's special. That's the truth, for sure. Absolutely. Bob, and I may have this quote wrong, so give me a little grace, but 
One of the things that I remember from when I first met you in the late 1990s, as we were just starting to explore working with Ord, I remember a comment that I have in my notes that you made a statement kind of like, if we don't take charge of our future and do something in Ord, I'm not sure Ord's going to be a community where I want my kids and grandkids to live. And I don't know if you recall that, but it's a memory I have, and it may be a little foggy. But I want to start out with your motivation, because you have given tireless effort. You've had courage in trying to ensure that Ord has a bright future. And so I'm, I just want to spend a little bit of time about your motivation to be involved in your community's development. You know, Don, my wife, Jean, and I have always liked to be involved in things that matter. And we believe our future matters. We believe our children's future matters. And, you know, if we don't each individually say, it's important for me to do my part and step up, how can we expect something to be better in the future? You know, I like the part of thinking on a short-term basis, thinking, okay, is what I'm doing today better than what I did yesterday? And are we in a longer term leaving behind this, something better than we found it. And I I think the folks that I've worked with here have all, I mean, we haven't all articulated that, but I think that's all a part of the mores of our community. And I feel blessed to be in a community where people were willing to step up to the plate. You know, we didn't really know we could or didn't know how to do it in the early years. We were back here, but we always did like to be involved and we always did feel we wanted to leave things better than we found them. So that's my motivation. And I think really, you know, part of in the practicing of law and, and extending what we do and what we learn there into the community, underneath all of that, it's about relationships. And it's about helping your neighbor and understanding what the greater good means. So, I mean, that's really I think motivation for for most people to get involved. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to I want to pivot a little bit. You know, as I have had the opportunity to work with Ord and been involved in trying to capture Ord's story as it's unfolded. I was doing some work with the Lilly Endowment in Indiana, and we had a an institute where we had communities from around Terre Haute, and of course Terre Haute's a small metropolitan area, and And I was sharing some of the Ord impacts, and I was concerned, okay, can Terre Haute relate to a community of a little over 2,000 in this rural part of Nebraska? And I was just so encouraged because they did relate. They go, my gosh, this is remarkable. And if a community like Ord can achieve this level of progress and success, surely with all the resources we have in Terre Haute, we can do better. And It speaks to the power of stories. And of course, Matthew Hansen, a Nebraska gem, a young man who is a journalist, has done a really remarkable job in capturing Nebraska stories, worked with you on the long drive home. And I know it was kind of hard because you were sharing the Ord story through your eyes. And, you know, there were some tough spots, and it took us a while to get that story to where. 
everybody was comfortable, but I want you to speak to the importance of how stories have motivated you, have motivated Ord, and why story capture is so critical to helping other rural communities pursue a brighter future. As we share, and Don Guinness knows, you can share story after story of the couple of dozen states that you've helped. But, you know, if each of us share our story, you and I are just regular Joes. Can't the next Joe see, well, they did that. I can do that. And so it is hard in sharing your story because as you tell it, you don't want to sound like, well, I did this, I did that. But you have to tell your story about things you did. And so to do it in a way so it's a collective thing and doesn't sound like you're bragging or something, that's a little hard to do that. The other part of it is we need to be authentic when we share our stories and accountable. And so as I thought about the first years when we came back, I mean, I, I thought, you know, everything was roses when we moved back. And I soon found that I know that almost every community has its challenges. And I soon found we had our challenges and some of them were a lot bigger than I thought. And as I shared those with Matthew, and he's such a great writer, as I shared those, I wanted to be totally authentic and accountable for it. But then, you know, we get to that point around the year 2000 when things started to turn around and we patched up some of these relationship issues. And as we each did something to make something better, we had more commonality and we had more community esprit decor and community pride. And a lot of those old things went away, but yet you don't want to totally diminish that because people who face those things need to know that others have, and they've been able to overcome them. So as I told those stories, and then when I saw them in writing, and then particularly my family saw them in writing, it's like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. You know, these are things that we've overcome in the community. Let's not like you said, the underlying thing is do no harm ever. And so as we looked at those things, say, well, maybe we can tell them truthfully, but maybe not as graphically as they occurred. Because honestly, as you know, there were times when you just felt totally beat up. And there were times we had some folks in the community that would write some pretty awful letters anonymously. And so when you're dealing with things so important in the community, like healthcare and education, those kinds of issues, I mean, that's a core necessity in a community. We have to provide that for a good quality of life. And if we want to have our communities grow, we need to provide that to a point where other people want to come. And that's people attraction, big deal, both education, housing, healthcare. But then also so people who live elsewhere can come and, and share our services and support us, just like, you know, it's kind of an interesting thing to me over the time is early on the community of Burwell, 17 miles north of us, as you know, and there was always kind of like I grew up this Ord Burwell rivalry. Now, I don't think it's a one of my contemporaries could ever articulate why that was. But as we started working in economic development together, we have a good, great bond with Burwell now. And so they 
our bowling alley burned down, they have a bowling alley. And so we're saying, well, gosh, we should build ours back. And my daughter, who is working in community development with us, said, well, wait a minute. If Burwell has that, ought we not to support Burwell's bowling alley? You know, we have an aquatic center. They come use ours. So if we just build that mutual support for each other, and that not only is between communities, but that also happens among organizations within our community. I think back when we started economic development, somebody from the city council said, well, the city and the county don't get along, county board, you know, the governing board, we don't get along. You know, they said we're dabbling in their business. And I said, really, who said that? Well, I, I don't know, but I know it was said, you know. And so with the economic development board, where we had two members on the economic development board from the city, the county, Chamber of Commerce and Greater Valley Activities, that was a place where we all worked on a common theme that was good for the community. It was for the greater good. And, you know, these other things melted away because we found out that, well, let's dabble together <laughs> and get her done. So anyway, I, that's a long ways of talking about just talking about the stories. But it's not necessarily really easy to tell the full story, but it is important to share enough of the facts that people understand, yeah, we have different challenges, but we have challenges. Hmm. Maybe if we figure out a way to play well together, we overcome those challenges and we all win. No, and I think part of what you're talking about, you mentioned relationships, and I would add trusting relationships. Absolutely. You know, we think in terms of community economic development around projects, we're going to do X, Y, Z, but you can only do that if you have those trusting relationships. And what you just shared, I think, is so critical for other communities is you've got to take the time to work together and to get to know each other at a personal level, to begin to trust each other. When that happens, then you can do so much more. And I think that's been a key from my perspective to the success that you have experienced in your neck of the woods. Yeah, that's been great. And, you know, and when the ethanol plant came, the city and the county worked together so well in terms of tax increment financing, skip and annexation so we could do that, building infrastructure. It was a joint project that was good for everyone. Absolutely. So, Bob, I want to get into the weeds a little bit, and I want to challenge you because this is always a hard assignment, but you've learned a lot from other communities, but folks have asked you for your advice because of the work that you've done. If there were three lessons or three pieces of advice that you would give to another community based on your experience, what would those be? You know, Don, if you you were to say, let's figure out a way to to play well together and to go forward. I think one of the most important things is to to really work hard to identify dedicated volunteers in the community, not necessarily your buddies you drink coffee with or play cards with, but folks that you can tell who are dedicated to bettering their community. Find those folks get some commonality. I know like when we did the sales tax thing, we had someone from every walk of life join with us because it gave us a great perspective. And then once we had that, connect those leaders with the power source, which is your city council and your county board. And I didn't used to understand that truly they do all the keys to the financial kingdom. And when you do work together, I mean, like the city, needed to adopt the sales tax plan and the economic development program. I hadn't realized that before. 
And so getting the right folks in the room and nurturing a relationship with the folks who are in the positions to help make things happen is so critical. So that's one lesson I would say. It's, um, it's, it's, it's a community asset mapping and bringing people together. And secondly, it's great to have good ideas and great plans, but most of those can't be carried out if you don't have money. So figure out access to capital. Almost every community I talk to has said, well, golly, we'd like to do that, but we don't have any money. And I said, well, you know, in 2000, when we formed this, we didn't have any money either. We had turned down a $100,000 free grant from the Keywood Foundation because we couldn't figure out any way we could match $100,000. So develop what works for your community as an access to capital and then educate, motivate the citizenry around the necessity of this capital and to really figure out how you can apply that and help emerging entrepreneurs. I mean, this is just, I think entrepreneurship is the foundation. Of course, I know I'm talking to the, to the guru of entrepreneurship, but if I've learned anything in 20 years, it's in the last 20 years, it's we need to find, nurture, support. I remember Craig Schroeder visited with us. He used to work with you. And he said, you know, in the third and fourth grades, you ought to be identifying those kids who kind of have that entrepreneurial bent and nurture them. Because those are the ones who are going to stay home and and build a business. Now, in access to capital, the second point is, for us, it turned out to be passing a sales tax dedicated to economic development. We passed a 1% sales tax. The other part of that was we, we collected an order, but we spent it in all of Alameda County. So again, that tends to bring folks together and say, yeah, we're all in this together. And I think we were the first in the state to do that. And I don't think too many have done that yet, but I I really encourage that because we have to think more regionally. And so, you know, with the sales tax we need for community development, we need bond issues to build the infrastructure. And the other thing is, is when we start to build these things, we'll find out, you know, we'll build our tax base. We might even lower our real estate taxes. And that was an argument or a proposal that helped bring the farmers along because the farmers had scared the merchants for years about a sales tax. We'll go someplace else. If you pass the sales tax, we won't go by because we have to do that. Anyway, the long and the short is I think everybody feels that it's been really important to have access to capital so you can do things. And you know what? It isn't all bad to tax ourselves. In some place, I mean, I know tax is a dirty word to a degree, but we have to have capital. So that was number two. And then I think number three is to really understand we're never done. You know, we need to be vigilant about our leadership development. We need to be vigilant about our entrepreneurship development. And we also need to be prepared for adversity because at times things will pop up. I mean, it feels good. Everything's going smoothly, but we're never done. And that's not a bad thing. I think if we stagnate in anything in life, there's usually not much value in that. But if we keep striving, you know, not being crazy about it, but just keep that bright, fresh feeling of, hey, there's something new we can do. You know, there's a new, a new challenge, a new opportunity. I think that's really critical for the community attitude and, and growth. 
So those are the three things that I guess I feel like are, are super important for communities to think about. Well, those are three great pieces of advice, and it speaks to the core that has empowered the success that this community has achieved. You know, our friend David Iaquinta, who you've gotten to know, talks about what makes Ord unique is there's agency. This idea that people in the community believe that if they have an idea, if there's something that needs to be done, they have the agency to reach out to the city or the school or any group and say, this is something we should consider and that the community is going to give them a fair shake and considering the merits of that. And as a result, it's allowed you to do so much more than if that culture was not present in the community, in the region. And so I think that's neat. I want to flip a little bit, and we're getting close to where we're going to need to wrap up because we try to keep this to a time that somebody who's commuting somewhere can listen to. Um, But I want you to reflect a little bit personally. What's been your greatest challenge as you've engaged in this work? Because it's not always easy, and, and that's reflected in Matthew's story. But What's been your greatest personal challenge as you've worked in community economic development in your corner of rural America? I think a real major challenge, I hadn't recognized it first, but the real major challenge is we need to be very vigilant and intentional about who we elect in governing positions. We didn't used to pay any attention to that. It's really important to continue to develop leaders in the community. It's important to look at the next generation and to embrace them coming in. It's so fun in our circles that we have now in our, in our informal groups, so like the Community Foundation and the leadership groups and so forth, to look at those 20-something, 30-somethings charging ahead with their leadership. You know, their vision is for what should happen 30 years is so much better than mine. And their willingness, they kind of want to have a little gray hair go along with them. And so that's, that's really great. But I think on the elected side of things, it's really easy to not pay attention to that. But I think to really progress in a community, you need to really seek out those folks who understand the greater good, don't have a personal vendetta or a personal agenda, and then don't just say, hey, will you sign up? And there was about there were about 15 years where we said every every position like this should be contested. In other words, get two good people to run for the same slot for county board, for the city council, for the mayor, and let people have a choice and let them grow and see how they go. And then the other thing with that though is rather than just say, hey, go get signed up, that's just the beginning. If we really want to help and be intentional about the leadership we have, the formal leadership we have in the community, we need to help them get elected. And there's a real process to that. Just don't throw them out in the yard and say, go do something. Just support them and say, okay, now we can help you. Here here are some things we think would be helpful. And of course, they're going to want to guide that. They'll have their own message. So anyway, I think that's a challenge in that we need to, Number one, finding the people willing to expose themselves. For years, we would only get farmers to be on the school board because nobody wanted to jeopardize their business by making a wrong decision people didn't like. And that that was changed 
And so then secondly, kind of connected to what I just said is complacency. You get to a point where you say, hey, things are going pretty good. And then you quit doing things like looking at leadership development, entrepreneurial development, who is running for school board, who is running for city council. So I think it's too easy to become complacent because our work is never done, as we've talked before. And so to develop a resilient community mindset, we just need to always keep working at that. Now, a specific challenge that I see right now, and we see it in a lot of communities, you see child care and housing as issues. We've done fairly well in the housing issue, but right now we desperately need a high quality child development center. And there are, you know, and we're looking to create a, a not-for-profit to do this and to really have a, a super high quality. Then there's always those issues like, well, you're competing with people who are doing their own business. Well, we've, brought those people in and talked to them about it and said, you know, we don't want to replace you. We just know there's a lot of people going to be retiring. We just want to make sure that in our workforce, you know, all, almost all the mamas have a job today. When I came here, that wasn't the case. But so I know my, my granddaughter who practices law with me has just struggled. She has a one-year-old child, but to find someone to take care of the child and to know that they're going to have that high quality. And, and there's so much that we can do in those early stages in terms of development. So another thing is you have to have good child care. Used to be people just said, well, do you have good health care? Do you have a good education system? Can I get a job? Today, they talk about a lot about what's your child care like. So people attraction is a big part of that. If you don't have good child care in your community, you may not be able to land that great young couple. So those are the three things that i I see as being a major challenge to every community, but a particular challenge to us right now, especially the child care and development area. That's great. That's great. And it is important for us to not take for granted our democracy. It's a powerful tool. What our cities, counties, schools, other governmental entities can do is a way in which we can, as a people, come together and do important work. And I think sometimes we get a little lazy and take our democracy for granted. And it begins with, like you say, encouraging people to take the risk to develop the skills to become good elected and appointed leaders in our communities. Well, Bob, we're kind of at that point where we need to wrap up. And so I just want to thank you for being my guest today. Well, thank you. I'm very honored to be able to do this. And if there's any one little thing that was helpful to someone else, then that's very gratifying to me because we have been helped in so many ways by your organization, Nebraska Community Foundation, and our peer learning with our other communities we've been blessed to work with. So thank you for giving me the chance to visit with you. Oh, it's my pleasure, Bob. So I want to share some of the resources that will be available with this podcast when Ann drops it. We will be sharing Matthew Hansen's story, The Long Drive Home, How Bob Stoll and Allies Made Ord's Future Better Than Its Past. We'll also be sharing a collection of Ord resources that have been part of this work. But we're also going to be focusing on a number of these resources throughout 2022. And also, I just want to remind our listeners that there are a lot of free resources that we have collected and 
generated that are available through our website, energizingentrepreneurs.org. It's your go-to place, and our friend Anne has created theme pages. So if what you're looking for is how do you fund community economic development, there's resources organized on that topic as well as others. We encourage those of you that are working in the field of entrepreneurship to join our National Practitioners Network, which will give you access to all of our resources that we have collected and developed over the years. There's, of course, our free newsletter that's easy to subscribe to, but also easy to unsubscribe if you don't find it useful. But that's where we let you know about new resources. And then, of course, you can sign up for Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast on all of the podcast sites that are available today. So, Bob, again, thank you for joining us for this edition of Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. Thank you again, and I look forward to hearing what comes up next. Don, you bet. You're sharing all this stuff. With and all my best to you and Gene and yours in 2022. Have a great year. Okay, you too, Don. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. Head on over to energizingentrepreneurs.org where you can subscribe to this podcast and tap into more than 25 years of field experience from E2 Entrepreneurial Ecosystems. I'm Don Mackey, and I'll see you next time on Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. Music